KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Imagine being stuck in a medical emergency, heart attack, stroke, something else that's dire, and you need immediate care. You know to call 911, but the voice on the other end is either one you can't understand or can't understand you or both. It really boils down to making sure that when we communicate with patients, we're communicating with a level of respect and, and care. Dr. Van Hellerslia is a clinical associate professor at the Temple University School of Pharmacy. She's also Vietnamese and completed a grant that equipped Vietnamese-speaking pharmacists with resources to provide culturally and linguistically tailored stroke education to members of the Vietnamese community. Now she wants to do more. We're going to save the world? No, of course not. There's lots of things that we cannot do, but I think if we can focus on what we can do and work with it with excellence, I think we've made some success. I'm Matt Liott, and today on KYW News Radio In-Depth, how Van Hellerslia's work has made inroads in Philadelphia, why finding the right pharmacist is so important to immigrant populations, and what she thinks could be done to help more communities than just her own. I know you've been working hard on a grant project. Talk about what this project is all about. Well, Matt, uh, this project is about working towards closing healthcare disparities in underserved populations. In this particular project, I looked to equip and empower Vietnamese-speaking pharmacists to serve as a bridge to help promote stroke education and awareness through community-based education. Now, Typically, we don't think of pharmacists as people going out in the community and, you know, talking to patients about disease or, you know, how to prevent disease. But in this particular case, I I actually formed this through my personal experience. So a little bit of background. I am a clinical pharmacist and a professor at Temple University. One of my roles um, is providing pharmacotherapy evaluations of patients who come into the hospital with neurological problems. And I started to notice that uh, patients who came in with a stroke, especially patients who had an immigrant background, maybe there's some language barriers, they tended to not go home. They tended to have really big strokes and were very disabled. They were also not likely to take their medications if they were, you know, coming back with another stroke. And I realized that Some of this has to do with health beliefs and their understanding of the role of medications and even awareness of stroke symptoms. You know, I'm a specialist in in anticoagulation, and I can argue points about which drug to use for, you know, this disease day and what's better. And the reality of it is that when we look at these clinical trials, the the absolute difference in in their benefit goes down to maybe 2%. And uh, you may say, well, there's a relative benefit of maybe 30%. But at the end of the day, who cares if the patient is taking their medication, period, they're not going to get better. And so it really um, broke my heart as I think about the fact that these are really systemic issues. Because I happen to also have a Vietnamese background, and I noticed that some of these patients were Vietnamese speaking, and they didn't they have very limited English, and that they could really benefit from, you know, understanding this uh, from a, you know, a larger perspective of um, stroke prevention, awareness. And I recognize that this is a, a really larger problem. 
problem than, you know, maybe just even the Vietnamese population. But and as I started looking into this, I actually found that Vietnamese is actually the number one underrepresented language in Philadelphia. There's a lot of patients who speak Vietnamese, who don't speak English, and there are not enough physicians that, that speak Vietnamese. Here, I'm a professor at the School of Pharmacy, and I know we graduate lots of Vietnamese-speaking pharmacists. So why not utilize Vietnamese-speaking pharmacists to help bridge that gap in terms of healthcare providers? And so it was my, it was kind of my, one of those things where I was like, okay, one day when I grow up, <laughs> I'm going to have a, uh, a team of, of clinical pharmacists who can, you know, uh, speak Vietnamese and English and help going to provide, you know, that kind of primary care of like uh, medication management reviewing medication so that they know how to take it correctly, you know, disease prevention. I thought, okay, maybe that's like, you know, when I'm like close to retirement age, that, that's going to happen. Well, long story short, I got involved with other researchers for other projects, and I realized that there is the skill set of asking for money, <laughs> asking for funding. And so I started to recognize that if I can learn how to apply for a grant, I can actually be able to fund such a project, even on a very small scale. And so that's what I did. There was a request for proposals through Genentech, which is a pharmaceutical company. They were looking for projects that were aimed towards closing healthcare disparities in the stroke world uh, and you know in minority populations. So I thought, hey, this is a great opportunity for me to um, to apply for this grant. And that's what I did. And I had several research colleagues from um, the School of Medicine, who are, who's the director of the stroke program at the hospital. I had folks from um, the Center for Asian Health at the, at the School of Medicine and some of my pharmacy faculty colleagues who joined me in the, in the grant application. And essentially what I was working towards, my aim was to equip and empower Vietnamese-speaking pharmacists to deliver stroke-based education in the community. It started off with a full-day educational series so that we can get as many Vietnamese-speaking pharmacists to understand, you know, management of stroke and uh, the medications and the stroke education literature that's out there and also really talk about the healthcare disparities that actually exist in the Vietnamese population. And many of the pharmacists there, you know, were not even aware that such disparities existed. And actually, I didn't either until I really dug into the literature. And that's when I really felt compelled that there's something that needs to be done and I'm in a position that could maybe make a difference. So we had this programming and we had something like 30 pharmacists come out and we recruited from them to say, would you would you join us for a whole year where we would have small monthly group meetings where we will design and plan these outreach efforts and develop the tools necessary to be able to reach the community. And so we got about 15 pharmacists and we had like small groups, like we had four small groups, and then we went through a whole implementation science framework to, again, um, think about what are the barriers, what are the cultural pieces, reach out to stakeholders in the community, reach folks in churches, in temples, in community centers, and even the Asian grocery stores, right, in North Philadelphia. We were able to set up these community-based educational series where patients learned about how to recognize the signs and symptoms of stroke. It was delivered in a culturally and linguistically appropriate way. And we even had, in some cases, some kind of pre-post-testing to see, you know, can you know, did, you, did you learn it? And then we were able to also engage 
the Philadelphia Police Department. So as I think about kind of the theoretical frameworks as to how adults learn and how can behavior change, one of these pieces is about having people have the behavioral intent to call 911 when they recognize the signs and symptoms of stroke. And I wanted to have a simulation, and there's really no way for someone to practice calling 911 unless you call 911 for real. So I contacted the police department and asked if we could create a simulation video. And so they said, well, you can, you know, uh, write a proposal. This sounds like a great idea. And they, 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 I did that, and they accepted it. They were able to create, like, a little audio of a Vietnamese person calling 911. It says if they're speaking Vietnamese, to be able to say, you know, stroke uh, help me, Vietnamese. And so those are kind of the key words mm-hmm. to help get a, uh, a translator on the line and to understand that EMS services are needed. When the community members heard this snippet, they felt like, oh, so this is what it's like to call 911. I can do this. This I can do. And it gave them just enough of that what we call self-efficacy to be like, okay, I can recognize it and this is what I can do. The really great thing is the community engagement uh, of the police department really loved the idea and helped that they were able to help. And we're looking at how can we scale this to other immigrant groups and other language groups because language is barrier. Folks are afraid to call. They're afraid that, that they don't even know what to do. Calling 911 is kind of scary. So the idea of calling 911 and being able to have the knowledge that you just need to be able to say certain keywords to be able to get the help that you need was something that I think is empowering uh, to the community. The purpose of this project really was to really empower our pharmacists to see themselves as leaders in the community. And so with my 15 pharmacists, we were able to collectively reach about 800 patients uh, 800 community members, which I think was great. Just, you know, this is like a one-year project and really to look at feasibility, what does it take to make this happen? And so I'm excited to then think about other ways in which we can scale this to other immigrant groups. How can we scale this throughout the city? And so that we can empower the community to understand, you know, what, are, what, what does it look like when someone's having a stroke and what do I do? What other kind of reaction did you get from the people. I would imagine there was some kind of feeling of of satisfaction and relief past the 911 but that that somebody heard them that yeah. they were understood and something was being presented to them and tailored to them. I would imagine that's incredibly powerful. Yes, you know, so many of the uh, community members had you know, just like no idea that, you know, that something could be done, right? Because if, if you're coming from a culture where you don't really get preventive care, you only take medicines when something is, is wrong, when there's acutely an illness and you, you take a medicine for it, the idea of preventive medicine, like you would take a blood pressure medicine to prevent high blood pressure, you could actually, once you have a stroke, that there's something that could be done to actually treat the stroke because it seems so disabling. The idea that you can call 911 and that you can get help right away. And I guess this is the key point that I that I wanted to mention is that the treatment of stroke is very time sensitive. Mm-hmm. Right? You have to get into the hospital within four and a half hours um, to actually get a you know what we call a clot blasting medication. In order for you to do that, you have to recognize the signs and you have to be able to call nine one one and you know nine one one EMS services rushes you to the hospital and then you get the you know the scans that you need to know that you're eligible to get this uh, medication. And so because it's time sensitive, if you're thinking oh well this will go away, I'll wait, oh, this will go. 
you actually miss the window in which an intervention can take place. The idea that there's something that can be done and that they don't have to subdue to a kind of fatalism is a health belief challenge that we're hoping to address. And I think we, we you know, make movement in that direction that people could think that, okay, there's something that can be done. One of the things that became crystallized to me during COVID is what a great resource a pharmacist is. Like, when you think of, like, healthcare, the ability to just walk into the drugstore a couple blocks away Mm -hmm. and have somebody available that you can just ask a question about your medication or even a symptom or something like that. This is a, a job that doesn't get enough appreciation. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I I know that many of my students that I was interacting with during COVID, uh, and you know they were working extra shifts, and they were and they definitely experienced a lot of disrespect because they're just seen as just like you know another retail outlet. Really, when our pharmacists that are trained to understand diseases, understand uh, drug interactions, and help kind of triage uh, some of the health illnesses that are seen uh, in the community. You know, pharmacists are the most accessible healthcare providers. And you're right. I think that um, oftentimes they're just seen as, like I said, like another retailer as opposed to the healthcare professionals that they are. You know, they have a doctorate level health education degree. When you're talking about medication and just getting a prescription, the difference between one pill, two pill, you know, how many milligrams, how often, these simple questions that you know, if you both speak the same language, but if you don't speak the same language, the the margin of error is through the roof. I mean, this is an incredibly important thing that you're trying to help tackle here in the big picture of just kind of matching up communities with pharmacists that can help them. Absolutely. And I think when patients feel defeated or they don't really understand the best thing, the easiest thing to do is just not take the medication. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when you're not taking your medications, then obviously the whatever disease that you're trying to treat or prevent, you know, it's it's not going to happen. Absolutely. I think that uh, having care that is culturally and linguistically tailored is important. We talk a lot about delivering linguistically and culturally competent care. Language is a big piece of that. But I think not only is language a big piece of it, I think, and this kind of goes across all communities, and I think it's it really boils down to making sure that when we communicate with patients, we're communicating with a, a level of, of respect and, and care. You know, there's some literature that actually shows that even if you were to get care from a person of their same, you know, country of origin, that is less important than it is that you actually experience a level of, of care and trust from your provider. We need to take a break. We will have more with Dr. Van Hellerslia right after this. This is KYW News Radio In-Depth. We are back on KYW News Radio In-Depth, continuing our conversation with Dr. Van Hellerslia. She is a clinical associate professor at Temple University School of Pharmacy. When you're looking at this, is there work done, like outside of a specific program like yours, to kind of try to match immigrant populations with pharmacists? Is there work done like that? That's a great question. We currently have actually a a large group of students from our school that speak a second language. And so we're actually working on creating an, an immigrant health 
initiative where we would be doing just that, where we'll be able to provide medication management, review of the medications based on the language needs of the patient. The the issue, part of the issue of this is that it requires uh, some level of what we call oral proficiency examination so that we're making sure that folks know, know the language appropriately. You know, so, so that, that's come from a, from a school of pharmacy uh, initiative. But in the city, yeah, we have, you know, various areas, pockets of the city that is, you know, uh, of a certain, you know, language uh, set. And we don't currently have something where we can match that up. But I think that that is certainly kind of like in line with what we're trying to do so that we're able to match up language to uh, area. So if if it so happens that you have, a let's say, a Russian-Ukrainian area and you have pharmacists that can speak that language and they work in that neighborhood and the the community members, you know, are already kind of going to their local community pharmacy and and it has those services, that's that's great. But that's not always the case. Like what if you had like, you know, um, like a CV that has floaters, that pharmacists kind of coming in and out, and so it might, may not necessarily have the, those services in that language. But certainly working, I think I think Philadelphia is a great place to start because we're in a tremendously diverse mm-hmm. uh, city, and I think that this is a great place to start where we can start thinking about um, how to match up those services. But from a, I think from the School of Pharmacy and what it is that we can influence, I think Part of that is thinking about language of our students and our alumni who can help provide these services. And it may not necessarily um, be, you know, a traditional sense of a pharmacy dispensing medications, but I think what's really also important is dispensing of information and to provide that kind of clarity as to why this medication is important, how to take it appropriately. And that kind of tailoring, um, I think, is just as important than, you know, as, as, you know, dispensing the medication itself. And I would imagine we've kind of looked at this through the eyes of patients, and but this would also be fulfilling for pharmacists and make pharmacists life easier as well. Because as much frustration when you can't communicate as there is with the person who's getting the medicine, obviously the pharmacist wants to help and being able to communicate, it just makes everything easier. Yes. Um, I think that, you know, as a healthcare provider, right, I may have patients that are Spanish speaking or Haitian Creole, right? I don't speak those languages. And so it can be frustrating, like, knowing that you're not able to provide that information directly in that language. However, I will say that one of the great things that we have access to um, is a language line. And so we can use that language line to translate so that language is not a barrier in communicating with patients. And that's accessible, you know, in our, like, for example, at, at our Temple Health System. And then I think there are services accessible in other large corporations, you know, pharmacies that that may be able to pay for that service. I'm not sure that that's necessarily available to like a mom and pop, you know, pharmacy. We all want to make the health system, and I'm painting with a broad brush here, we all know it's broken in so many different ways. And everybody's looking kind of for that magic bullet to make it better. And it seems to me we're not going to make it better with one big swing from the government or a nonprofit. It's going to be a bunch of little moves. And it seems like something like this You talk about you help 800 people. Well, maybe that helps of that 800 over the lifetime, maybe 15 recognize a stroke. And instead of being in the hospital 
for a month. They're in the hospital for two days because they understood it. It seems like taking the care and the interest on these kind of micro-focused issues, if you keep going like that, all of a sudden a lot of other things don't seem so unable to be overcome. Yeah, I think when we can create goals that are specific and achievable and realistic in the time that we have, it does, I think, increase that sense of self-efficacy, our own sense that we can make a concrete and tangible change. And it, that gives, tells the people the system can work. Like you can get the help and it's not – you don't have to talk to nine different people. Like I think that's a huge thing too where if the problem can be solved in a reasonable manner, it just gives people confidence to come back. It does. I, I think we want to be able to instill hope and – that there are people that genuinely care and we have incredibly smart people in this area that are working in many you know scientific advancements and i think that as we gather the critical mass necessary to align the sense of purpose I believe that we can make tangible, concrete improvements. Are we going to save the world? No, of course not. Like that's just, you know, there's lots of things that we cannot do. But I think if we can focus on what we can do and work with it with excellence, I think we've made some success. So what is, with regards to like the idea of this program, what are the next steps you're hoping to take? I am hoping to engage other communities that are disadvantaged, either because of language barriers, healthcare access, and be able to utilize our resources, such as our, our pharmacists, our pharmacy students who have these language skills and who have an interest, anybody who has an interest in serving the underserved. And being able to also engage the police department in creating, you know, these kind of tools as well that can help uh, other communities feel that they can access 911 and be able to then scale it throughout the city. And what I'd love to be able to see is that we're able to get folks treatment because they came in at the window in which treatment can be most effective. And we've talked Obviously about your grant program, and we've talked kind of in broad terms about the importance of pharmacies and you know being able to communicate with immigrant populations. And I know specifically, as you talked earlier, your program focused on strokes, and there's a good reason for that. Yes. Um, stroke is a leading cause of death and disability. And if patients are not getting preventive care, and they end up getting a stroke, and they, and they arrive late to the hospital, they're more likely to be disabled. And if we think about it, if you're disabled, you can't work. What we're finding, um, especially among uh, vulnerable populations, ethnic and minority populations, that strokes occur at a younger age, and they are disabling so that it negatively impacts their economic ability. And so not being able to work because you're disabled 
is a very tragic thing, and it adds to the burden of the disease to our society. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon. <laughs>